Daniel, welcome to the Weekly Profit. Again, I know we were just talking about it, but I'm really appreciative, really appreciative that you're here. We're going to dive into a lot of cool stuff related to your experience, how you're currently making money online, you know, how you kind of your unique experience you had to dive into this space and then what you're currently doing now and really dive into the mindset all behind it. So, you know, I want to talk about, you know, what are you most excited about right now? Like current present day, you know, what you're building. Mm -hmm. I mean, today I just got actually accepted to be the crypto guy in GCC. GCC is one of the networks, one of the big networks online Iman runs it. So that's probably something I'm really excited about. Like right this very moment, just getting uh, my sort of mindset towards crypto in front of a high level group of people because I feel like my approach works best with people who are busy, focused on their businesses, on their careers, who want to do crypto without investing the time. So that's probably what I'm most excited about at the moment, like sort of adapting my, like really teaching everything I know to that sort of particular type of audience. Besides that, I would say probably just this mastermind that I run, which is like teaching crypto again, same sort of thing, but it's one of my main projects at the moment. It's really fun. So yeah, I'd say those two are the top things at the moment. Yeah, super cool. And, you know, how did you first get started in crypto? Because I think that's a big piece of obviously, like what you just said, what you're, you know, building everything around. Where did that start for you? Where did you see the like, was it the 2017s, you know, like early Bitcoin? Or was it later you saw the push and then started to say, okay, this is something I really want to get involved with? Yeah, I joined crypto in December 2017. So What's that like over, over five years ago? I think it was really long, really long time ago. I saw some articles on Facebook when I was scrolling on Facebook back then. It was, I actually used Facebook back in like 2017. Like, I don't think about that now, but I would be on Facebook all the time and I'd see these articles like Bitcoin just hit 20K. Um, I saw this other article, Tron up 800%, Cardano up 600%, all these like big numbers of like, like profits people were making. And I was like, what is this shit? Like, what, is, what am I, what even is this? So I clicked on it this article and i looked at the different websites for the coins that they talked about i looked at the one called tron and that one really spoke to me because i i watched this movie tron a few years ago and it was like one of my favorite movies ever it's like a futuristic i guess dystopian sort of like like i don't even know like a sci-fi sort of movie anyway i really liked it and this project was sort of themed around tron so i was like this is really cool it's like my fa one of my favorite movies except i can make money off it this is sort of cool. So I kept researching and from there, it's just like going down the rabbit hole and just getting obsessed with things. I tend to get obsessed with stuff. So the, crypto is like the most addictive, obsessive thing you can get into if you really like it. So um, yeah, it was a, it's a very deep rabbit hole. I feel like I've barely even fucking like dug into it and it's five years in. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's super cool to hear you say. And what was the, what was your impression of the crypto market at that? time when you first get introduced to something like that and you see all these big numbers was there like an inclination to just look at the money you had and jump right in or did you understand at that point oh this is something i want to research further like did you have was there a learning curve you know within those first couple years as far as you know really establishing yourself into crypto being something you wanted to pursue man i was so shit at crypto for like the first two years like i was actually genuinely terrible like at the time I had zero experience in investing or markets or, you know, crypto or anything. I was 18, just finished high school, really not that smart of a person either. And I was just like, I was quite naive to how 
markets worked. I was basically just like writing down all these options of what I should do. Should I go to university? Should I get a trade where I like work as like a plumber or something? Or should I just do crypto and just like double my money every year and I'll be a millionaire by 22? So I like extrapolated out all the different options and I just thought that I could just, you know, 10x my money every year and I would just be a millionaire by like 21. It was so stupid. I, I, I had no clue what I was doing. So it was a huge learning curve. The learning curve of crypto is probably one of the biggest out there. Like if you're picking a niche to try to become very good in, it's probably one of the hardest out there just simply because of how, how competitive it is and how fast it's changing, but also how sketchy it is. Like back then, I remember everyone on Twitter always emphasized and on YouTube, they always emphasized, this is the wild west. You have to be careful. This shit is dangerous. I, I just remember this in my brain. Everyone always called crypto the wild west. And really to this day, it's still the wild west. Like exchanges like FTX is still blowing up, billions of dollars getting lost, scams left, right and center. It is still the wild west five, six years later. So I would say, yeah, it's a huge learning curve. And I, I sucked at it for so long and I'm finally good at it after, you know, like, I mean, after two years, I was getting decent, but five years in, you get pretty good at this stuff. So. Mm -hmm. And how, who were the first people that you looked to early i know at first you probably thought like this is all on me and like you were very you know diving into the the self-teaching side of it when did it trigger for you like maybe you need was there did you go get a mentor or did you just watch certain people for an extended period of time before you felt confident within you know your skill set around it so there was this guy on twitter i really looked up to his name was he's actually still on twitter he doesn't post but his name was like trading room app he used to post content all the time about crypto. He was so good at crypto. And uh, he put a comment under someone else's post on Twitter. It was so random. No one saw it. This guy always gets like a thousand likes a tweet, but he put this comment under someone else's post. No one saw it. And it was like, I'm taking on people to mentor. Email me here if you're interested. And I was like, what the fuck? Why did this come off of my Twitter feed? And why did he comment it here? He could have got 10 million like emails if he did it through his, his actual Twitter account. So anyway, I emailed him. He didn't reply. I emailed him many times over the course of six months. Finally, he replied and I got on a call with him. This guy ended up mentoring me and he taught me a lot about trading, investing, and also about how to run businesses. So I ended up working inside of one of his trading algorithm related companies. And yeah, he sort of got me in the space and sort of he's, he was the first person to like open my eyes to, you know, like this rich mentality. Like up until then, I hadn't spoken to any rich people. I didn't understand that there was even a mindset difference. I didn't see the gaps in my current thinking. I had no clue. I was like just base level programming from a middle-class family. And then this guy would be asking me questions on the call. I remember like years ago, he was like, so like, what do you, do you want to get rich? Like, what do you want to achieve? And I was like, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice. And I was like, but you're not going to get there if it's nice. Like, do you, do you want it or not? He like really wanted to like test, like if I had it. And it was really interesting. That was my first exposure to, you know, a wealthy individual and how they think. And now if I think back to like, if I was to hop on a call with someone, you know, in the same shoes as me back then, I'd be asking the same questions. I'd be like, what are your goals? And they'd be like, oh, you know, I'd like to achieve things, but I'd be like, but like, do you really want it? Like, what do you really want? I'd really want to test them to see if they had that little, that little fire inside of them. So, and then, yeah, that was, he mentored me a lot on crypto. And from there, it's just learning taking on roles inside of companies, like getting firsthand experience from many different things. And you get, you get good at stuff over time. You combine all different skills together and it works out. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and what would you say your first, what was, can you take me back to like an early, obviously you're very successful now, but can you take me back to an early failure you had getting introduced to the space and, you know, what you learned from that? Oh, bro, there's like a billion. I mean, I, I bought Tron at like two or three cents in December, 2017. And at the time I was a surf instructor. So I would, you know, like do shit coins and then go teach people how to surf. I remember I came back from a surf lesson and I blurted up my phone. I looked at my portfolio and I literally like had like 10 X to my money. Like it, it went up like 10 X in the space of a few days. I didn't check it for a few days and I checked it and I was like, hold up. I just made like six grand or something. Or I don't even know. It was like 10 grand at the peak. I was like, holy shit. How did I make all this money? And I just didn't think about it. But then it went like this and it fucking went straight back down. And so then the next week I was at the surf school, I checked it again and I lost the entire like gain that I made. So like Tron was, it was fucked. It went literally like straight up 10 X and then straight back down. So I mean, I would call that a loss because I, I held it through back to where it was in a losing position. I didn't take any profits. I just thought, oh, it's just going to dip and it's going to go up again. This project's great. I didn't understand market cycles. And that was like the beginning, beginning. Somehow I m managed to make money temporarily. Other than that, it was, I bought Verge just before the Rafe protocol release. Uh, the, the price had gone like 100x leading up to this event. And I bought it the day after Rafe protocol because I thought, this, this protocol is going to change the game forever. If I just buy it when it releases, everyone's going to realize once it's released that it's so good and they're going to all buy after me. But I didn't realize that people buy in anticipation of the event happening. The price rise leading up to the event was people looking into the future, trying to anticipate what others would be thinking. And I was the idiot who bought the top so that the smart people could you know, sell to me. So yeah, that was a big learning lesson that literally went down like 90, 95% and I held it the entire way. But, but then from the bottom, it went up about five X. It got up to almost, I think a 30% loss. And I sold it basically at the exact top on that next, on that next rally. So I only lost about 30% from buying the last top because I managed to time selling the end of the, the next piece of big news. So like, instead of me buying the top when the news came out, I sold the talk. So I had learned my lesson. So yeah, no, super cool. Now crypto today, um, obviously it's changed a lot since 2017. I want to know, you know, you're, I know you're currently based in Australia, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's now, how do you like being around? I know you've traveled around the world. How do you see like crypto adopt or crypto adoption, like varying across different regions around the world. Is there a certain market where you see it doing better than others? Can you kind of take me through the the global perspective of crypto right, right now and kind of maybe anything you see happening? I'd say in Australia, the city that I live in yeah. and the city an hour away from me, which is Gold Coast and Brisbane, is the is definitely by far the most crypto like adopted place in Australia. Like there's a lot of crypto guys here. I don't know why they all just congregate in Gold Coast and Brisbane. <laughs> like obviously yeah. there's people in Sydney and Melbourne and Perth, but it's really Gold Coast and Brisbane and just Queensland in general, which has a lot of crypto adoption. To be honest, I never, I never use crypto here. Like it's not like I go down to the coffee shop and I'm spending crypto, but I'm, I'm investing in crypto, not as a sort of, a, as a payment method. I'm not speculating on crypto becoming used for payments to buy to buy coffee 
that's not really what my investment thesis. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I don't, I don't really keep track of the adoption and stuff. I've noticed that in third world countries, it's definitely less, I mean, less popular. I think it's really Asia and the U S where it's most popular. Um, especially I think Asia is really picking up in terms of their crypto adoption at the moment. So, but yeah, I haven't really noticed too many trends to be honest, and I don't really use crypto on a day-to-day -day basis like that either. So yeah. Interesting. And so what, what is your, your why behind crypto right now? What is your, your, you know, your pull to, to holding it and, and trading it currently then aside from, you know, obviously, like you said, you're not interested in necessarily the full scale adoption of it, but what's the value proposition for you? Yeah, well, I mean, 99% of crypto is just facilitating gambling in some way, shape or form. And I think gambling is a very popular niche. And I think that like, if you look at a lot of the things that have been created in crypto, like DeFi and NFTs and all this stuff, there is an element of like, you know, like something genuine behind it, like an NFT is art, there is community. But at the end of the day, people are here to speculate in a market where there isn't restrictions like there would be in sports betting or trading stocks, et cetera, et cetera. So I just think that crypto is a is the best market to speculate in. I think that because of its looser regulations, there's a lot more money to be made. You know, when you trade stocks, it's very regulated. There's a lot of competition and a lot of the edge, a lot of the alpha has been sort of like, like has been arbed out by a lot of the big players and the very, very smart individuals who, you know, put themselves in the stock market. I think crypto, if you're a young guy who can research these really new sectors, there's just a lot of upside potential. The, the returns in crypto are what you would call asymmetric, meaning that the risk is not too high. I mean, the, the risk is high, but you can control your risk, but the upside is huge. It's like a, you know, it's like a one risk for every 10 rewards sort of setup. You don't get that asymmetric risk profile or return profile that you like in, in stocks, you don't get it in stocks as much unless you're buying stuff like me, you know, that big short squeeze that happened back in the last bull run. But there's just a lot more opportunity to, to take yourself into the seven, eight figure portfolio mark in crypto, starting from a smaller amount than there is in any other market. So that's my bull case. It's just that there's, there's more potential to make money here. And it's also what interests me. I think you need to pay attention to what interests you. I'm not going to do stocks because I genuinely don't have any interest in it. And so my, my, you know, because I don't know anything about it, because I'm not interested, my, my level of skill is going to be the same level as the majority of people. You only make money if your skills better than everyone else. So why I'm not going to try to become better than everyone else. If I genuinely don't care in crypto, I love this shit. I'm obsessed with it. So I'm going to be better than everyone else. Just purely because of that, that gives me the edge to make money. So very cool. And what do you look for in coins that are going to do well? Like, is there certain things that you, when you're looking to either make a trade or yeah, like add to your portfolio that, you know, this, what's coming out, it has to have this. What is that for you? Yeah. So a lot of people on, on Twitter and YouTube and stuff, they have a really strange approach to talking about why a project's good. I saw a video on Twitter today. It was like this guy talking about why, what coins was it? It was two coins. I can't remember the names of the coins, but anyway, it was two like random projects that were launched back in like 2019, 2020. And he was talking about how great the technology is. Oh, one of them was near protocol. He was like near protocol is so great because of the sharding technology. 
and because it's easy for people to build on it. And I was like, that's not, that's not why coins go up. His framework for analyzing why something is good doesn't actually make you money. Because if you look at the near protocol price, it's literally a terrible performing asset recently. You would have been better off buying something like Arbitrum with a proper framework that would have actually made you money. See, when I look at a project that makes me money, I evaluate it based on how good is the team? What is the narrative that is going to form in the future but hasn't currently formed yet? And how, like in terms of the team, it's about how, how much updates are they pushing out? Uh, how like competitive are they with getting an edge over their competitors? And basically like, what is the previous projects that these people have worked on? Because a lot of times like someone will work on a project They'll sort of not give a fuck about this project and they'll launch a new one. It's the same dude in a new project. This thing is going to be a really good, it's going to have a lot of potential because it's got the same sort of main man or team behind it. Good example of a good team is, is Blur. Blur is, a huge, is the only NFT project that has managed to compete with OpenSea in a genuine level. Mm. And you could tell that Blur was a really great team and a great company. And I'll, I'll call it a company, but it's more a coin. You could tell that they were great because of every time OpenSea would do something to try to destroy them and slow them down, they would come back twice as fast with an update, which would basically like put them ahead of OpenSea again. So OpenSea would ban Blur transactions. Blur would come back with some new technology that's never been seen before next week, and they would take back what Blur, what OpenSea had done to them. So yeah, when you look at a great team, a great like a great team with a shit idea can just pivot to a new idea. Like it's easy. You can you can change ideas like click of a finger. But a shit team with a great idea, they're not going to execute properly because a great team will eventually find the good idea and they'll just beat the shit team just purely because they'll eventually find the right direction to point their energy in. So like these people, they like supporting the underdogs. It's it's totally moronic because they're going to get outcompeted by the good projects. Like I see dudes supporting like a five hundred thousand dollar market cap coin that was founded by some more like some idiot who has who's has no idea what he's doing and yeah sure i guess you could say that like the small ones make the 100x returns but i think in terms of like the probability of you succeeding if you bet on a good team you bet on a good founder of a new project the probability of you succeeding is significantly higher and when the probability is higher of success you can put more capital behind it sure you buy a five hundred thousand dollar market cap coin but what do you like how much conviction do you have how much money are you going to put into it? Maybe like a thousand bucks. You'd only put in what you were willing to see go to zero because you would expect it to go to zero. So you're never going to put lots of capital in. Whereas if there's a new project, let's say a 50 million market cap, it's got a super high probability of succeeding because the team's insane, they're executing. You can enter that position with a lot more size because you've got more conviction. And that's what I prefer to do. So, Cool. Yeah, I think you, you touched on a couple of cool things there especially about like even just hinting back to the the decentralization aspect of crypto and like that's where you know there's a lot of opportunity within that but it allows companies like blur to innovate like it's not like there's a set way to solve all these problems or to you know find new ones it's like no these guys just they see the it's the newness of kind of the space and they they were able to look at what OpenSea did right or wrong and basically you know make a better version of that and I think we'll continue to see that as the space develops. Now, you touched on market cap and like you talked about a coin that 500K and 50, what'd you say, 50 million? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, can you break down how they or like at least in simple terms how you get to that that market cap number, especially as a as a new as a new coin? Is it purely based on the founders who brought it brought it in and what they're putting into it, or does it come from you know another source that we should kind of be looking into? I mean, it's everything. It's mm-hmm. what VCs are backing you. How much money did the VCs raise? How good's your marketing? How big's your community? How big is the problem you're solving? How big, how, how much of the market in that particular problem do you occupy? So let's say the problem's like giving people access to the, the ability to lend and borrow money like DeFi. That's a problem, right? The solution like Aave, which is one of the biggest ones, will have one of the bigger market caps. You know, big problem. It has majority of the market. It'll have a large market cap. But yeah, it's basically everything. You know, you, it's also about the narrative. The narrative is a big part that drives evaluation because the, you can't beat the story that someone tells themselves about your project. You can tell them whatever you want, but the story in their mind is ultimately what matters most. So someone is willing to hold a coin that has gone up 100x if the story in their mind is if it's going to go 1,000x. That's the narrative. It's the interwoven set of stories which create this narrative surrounding a coin, which is the belief, which is your belief of what it's going to achieve. This is why cults are so powerful. It's not just someone telling you something and you believing it. It's an interwoven set of stories which create sort of the entire belief that you have around something. It's like the full picture. So like a cult can keep someone in and convince them to do everything they want them to do because they've just occupied the entirety of their mind. Same with a project, right? Some of these projects turn into cults that people dedicate their life to. They dedicate their life to trying to market the coin. They'll go out in public. They'll wear the merch. They'll have like a Solana hat, Solana t-shirt. They'll say like, I'm hodling my bags to the moon. I'm not selling to a thousand X. It's a cult. And it's the, it's a narrative. They've, they basically like brainwashed almost, but these are great projects to own because the higher the amount of brainwashed cult people in a, in a community, the less sell pressure there is going to be as the price rises. Okay. You want to be buying a coin that no one wants to sell, even if it goes up. This is why the meme coins go up and go down so fast. It's because the people who hold them don't really believe in them. It's ultimately a meme, you know, like that Pepe coin, the Pepe coin that's launched this week, that's going to dump so hard. Why is that? Well, I mean, it, it went up a lot. So when it goes up a lot, it goes down a lot, but it's also because people don't really believe in Pepe coin. Like it's just a, it's just another shit coin. People hold it purely to try to make a quick dollar. They're not like, wow, this is the future of fucking finance. This is going to take over the the industry. None of that. It's just like, this is a meme coin. Let's try to get rich quick. And it's going to, it's going to dump as fast as it went up. So Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's super good advice. And now, you know, I want to, I think we got a really good gauge on like, you know, you know, your stuff in crypto, you've had great experience. And a lot of the things you said there as somebody who's really, I look for a lot of those things in the businesses I work with or the partnerships I make. So it correlates really well to just, you know, the overall Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial landscape, the overall business landscape. How did you first start making money online? Can you take me through? Can you take me through that? Yeah. So I never really did like e-com or agencies or anything like that. Like a lot of people believe that the only way to make money is like, it's like those core ways. It's like you either make an e-com store, do some drop shipping, or you make some agency helping people do marketing, or you like 
to OnlyFans or something. <laughs> but okay. there's like a lot of ways, there's a lot of unique paths. So I would say my path into the online business space is a bit more unique. So the first thing I did ever in terms of like an online income was a marketing job for a trading algorithm company, the one I mentioned before from that trading mentor. So I was like the head marketer of this company. My job was to create a brand, create content, and basically, you know, sell the access to the algorithms. And that got me started into a lot of stuff that I'm still doing to this day, which is building a brand online and creating education about crypto and also selling crypto related stuff. So I still do like what I was doing like three years ago, just in like different forms. But yeah, after that, I worked in a few companies. I did, I worked in a couple crypto crypto projects, just doing marketing. Uh, I found that shit very boring. So I, I dropped that like very fast. And I did Hustlers University as well. That was a huge eye-opener into how, you know, big companies work and, you know, how to run, how to run a business. And, and now today it's basically just doing my own stuff. I'm, I'm really focused on my personal brand and just, yeah, building my own stuff. Cause it's where I get the most enjoyment from. So. Yeah, no, super cool. And like we talked about, you know, I want to, can you briefly kind of take me through your experience working with Hustlers University? I think that's just like su something super interesting. I'm sure you learned a lot kind of through that. Can you, can you brief me on, you know, how you first got introduced that opportunity and then maybe just some lessons you pulled from your experience working with Hustlers University? Yeah. So for context, Hustlers University, it's the, it's an online education platform. It scaled from zero to 150,000 paying students within about one and a half years. So zero to $10 million a month in, in revenue in like fucking just over a year. So it scaled really, really fast. If you look at the, the student count of how many paying people there were, it basically just only went up without any down days for the, till about 50,000 students. It was fucking nuts. Like no, I, I've never seen a company scale like this one. I, I don't even know if you could find one. It was just insane. Yeah. In terms of lessons, I mean, it was really just an insight into how really good business people operate. Like the Tates are some of the best salesmen and marketers on the planet, I would say. They're very, very good at business as well, but their main thing is sales and marketing. They're absolute geniuses at it, like fucking crazy. One of the biggest things I learned was probably like setting a, setting a goal and genuinely having conviction behind it. So from day one of Hustles University, we had zero dollars of revenue, zero students. I have a photo of the Discord. It was just empty. It was just us. And Luke was basically like, so everyone, we're going to get to 100,000 students. It's inevitable. It's going to happen probably within a year or two. And it's your job to give enough value that people will just stay inside forever. And that we're like, okay, I don't think we'll get to 100,000, but sure, Luke, you know, have your dreams. That's okay. And he was like, you guys think I'm joking. Like, we're going to get there. As if he could see the future or some shit. As if he came back from the future and like fucking teleported or something. And we kept going up and we eventually got the 100,000. And we're like, holy shit, like, how did you know Luke? And it was just like pure conviction into, into forcing the universe basically to give you what you wanted. Like when you set a goal and you genuinely believe in it and you dedicate every second of, and every fiber of your being to achieving this goal, like there's not nothing that can really stop you. Like if you genuinely put in the work, there's nothing you couldn't achieve outside of areas where you'd need some sort of genetic thing. Like you could pretty much achieve everything. Like anyone, anyone watching, if you wanted to become a millionaire and you genuinely set your mind to it, like you can, 
It's just a matter of like actually having full conviction because the Tates, they are the hardest workers I've ever met by far. Luke just does not stop working. He is, he is insane. He's, it's, it's amazing. He works all the time. He always finds work to do, always hiring new people, always outsourcing things, always scaling up to the next level. It's, it's insane. I don't know how they do it. So. Very interesting. And now like, you know, scaling a company that fast, you know, and have like being a part of something that's, that's growing that quickly, were there times of, of doubt, you know, like within that, you know, 12 months of building or was the consistent progress just something that was so motivating to, you know, everyone on the team. And like, that was the, okay, like we're, we're seeing positive results or was there a time where you felt like, oh, maybe, you know, this isn't something that I want to be a part of for the long run. Every day was almost like, well, not every day, but like most days were like some sort of state of like emergency. Like you have to, like everything's about perspective and you can create a narrative in your mind for what you think is occurring. So if you view 10,000 a month as a lot of money, that is your limit. That's your cap. It's like with dating, right? If you look at a girl and you're like, she is so beautiful. Oh my God. You're placing that as the, as something that you almost can't have because of how much, how highly you value it. You're putting it on a pedestal. So the biggest thing with the Tates was like, yes, we're growing insanely fast, but this is broken. We're having issues with handling the inflow. We could have done more because we've had faster growth days before. You know, as the group gets bigger, we have more affiliates. Why are we not growing faster as the group gets bigger? You know, and then maybe one day we have a, a slow day and we're like, this is an emergency. What is going wrong? You know, the growth of HU is directly tied to how much content is going out. So why is there not enough content created? How can we create more content? How can we provide more value to the people in HU? How can we make them more money? How can we like just genuinely transform everyone's life more? So like you have to, you have to create a perspective that even if you're doing well, it's not enough because you could always do better. And that's really important. If you want to be at the top, you have to be, I mean, you can be happy with the growth, but you can't be satisfied with it. You can't be satisfied that, yeah, they can't, okay. like a lot of people, they'll, they'll start declining and now they'll, they'll say, oh, it's because of this. It's because, you know, we're in a bit, we're in a recession. No, it's, that's just a story that you're telling yourself. Hustlers University continued to grow exponentially during the beginning of a recession. It was literally like anti-recession. It didn't give a fuck. Like companies, there's so many companies that grow in a recession. It's just about pure raw work ethic and believing that none of these outside variables matter. doesn't matter. Like doesn't matter if the world's in a recession. doesn't matter what you, what you object, what you subjectively think is going to affect your business. If you want it to scale, you have to place that as the expectation. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think one big pull I took away from, you know, obviously the, the, I guess the narrative of a decline, you know, in the U S and just like globally, how everything's been changing is like at these times where there's all this doubt or whatever, it's like, that's the quiet time. Like there's less competition now, in my opinion, in the last couple of years. Like I've taken it as like, no, all these people are quiet about crypto. You know, they're quiet about NFTs. They're quiet about, you know, doing business. They don't want to like, like have too much, you know, loans going out and whatnot. And like, it's just, it's very interesting to me. I was like, I think you could take this time to, okay, let people think that and start there's, 
they're only illuminating that they're having all these problems and there's more problems to to be solved and like really you know focus in on what you exactly want to build and you could use this time to get ahead so you know i think that's super cool how you're able to to really realize that now i want to pull up a tweet you had because i think it i screenshotted it because it relates a lot to success and i think if people could kind of hear where this kind of came from i think it would it would provide a, a lot of value and give them that here's what to expect as far as what we mean by like you know it's not enough like keep going you know you said the difference between you and seven figures in the bank is about 10,000 decisions the quicker you make these decisions the quicker you get there this is why people who hesitate procrastinate always fail speed is the key to success how do you how did you first get introduced to that idea and how do you practice that idea of just quick decision making now it's a good question i don't know how i i think i came up with it to be honest i think i just cuz i was doing like sales work as well to me. I was actually doing some high ticket sales work. And when you do sales, it's basically a, a really profound introduction into how humans work. And you see, uh, you pick up patterns, right? When you speak to enough people, you can, you see what they do with their life. You see where they go or where they don't go. Like you see what they achieve or what they don't achieve. You pick up patterns of like who's successful and who isn't. Like you can really tell, like I can tell like immediately when I look at someone like, or after talking to them, I can tell like if they're going to be successful or not. And the hit rate is so high. Like, and this is why it's really easy to hire for, hire and uh, like hire in companies and stuff, because you can just talk to someone, you can know like what type of person they are just because of the, the patent recognition database that I've built up from doing sales and talking to thousands of people about how to improve their lives with the different, with the various things that I've sold. So the, back to that question, back to that point of the tweet, I learned that the people who got results make fast decisions because each decision that like the thing is like it's sort of hard to explain but the faster you make a decision the more the universe is going to like respect you for for executing so when you think about a decision if you sat down and you just only thought about this like this decision that you have to make. Let's say you're deciding if you want to join a network, right? You're deciding if you want to join a network to improve who you associate yourself with. Imagine you sat down, put your phone in another room, turned off all the fucking sounds around you, and you just thought about that decision for 30 minutes. You would consider every single possible angle, every variable. You'd consider everything. You wouldn't have to do any more thinking. But the problem is people don't do that. They'll think for five minutes while they're having dinner. And then they'll have a bunch of coping mechanisms and procrastination. And then they'll delay the decision to another time. Oh, I'll think about it later when I come up with, you know, I'm going to come up with some magical realization that's going to tell me if I should join or not. And then, you know, a day's passed. That's 24 hours. And then they think about it again at breakfast. And then they go, ah, oh, maybe I should talk to a friend. And then I'll go ask a friend. Now it's the next day. They've just wasted 48 hours of their like finite life deciding something that could have taken 30 minutes if they just sat in their fucking room and meditated. So the key, the key is 10,000 decisions before you become a millionaire because each decision only needs 30 minutes to take. And if you make each decision fast, you're basically like getting to that next level. Like imagine getting to a millionaire, like taking 10,000 steps. In each step, like if you walk, if you just take more steps, you get to the fucking end point faster. 
So you join the network, boom, 30 minutes decided. Once you're in the network, oh, okay, so should I message this person? Done, decided, boom, next decision. Okay, maybe I should you know, offer to work with this guy and like form a partnership on this business. Boom, decided, that's the next step. Okay, maybe I should, maybe I should actually go to this networking event inside of this group. It's gonna cost another $2,000. All right, decided, boom, next decision. And eventually you just make enough decisions, you do it fast enough, you end up with a million dollars in your bank account. Like it, it just, it just happens. So that, that's an explanation of the tweet. Yeah, no, super cool. And I like, I like the 10,000 thing a lot because I think most people like you come up and you know, a lot of people, at least in my circles, like we all came up just to use sports as an example, coming up playing sports, like all you hear about, you know, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, like what did they do? They spent, they always say, you got to hit your 10,000 hours. You got to hit your 10,000 free throws. You got to hit your 10,000 three-point shots if you purely want to they always said that's how you master something and i like that in the world of business because it's like hitting that you know million dollar mark or that that 10 million dollar mark for a lot of people is okay like that confidence that you know you've mastered this at least in a way that you could certainly show other people on how to do that and that's something that i see happening in this online space a lot is people are figuring out they are putting in the ten thousand hours they are putting in the ten thousand decisions and then they're seeing, okay, how could I use this to help other people? And they're naturally growing because of that. So that's why I really like when I talk to guys like you who have had these experiences. And like you said, like it's only been five years. Like people will go work, you know, a job for 30 years to see a lot of the same similar success. But it's like you could go through it very consistently for five years, dedicate yourself, make those decisions, think the right way consistently. And then when you start coaching other people on how to do that, you can really start to see the exponential growth kind of just within that. But you have to do it first. There's so many of these people, like you said, I can tell right away when I'm talking to somebody and they're explaining that they're like an expert on something and they haven't even done it. Like, I, you know, I, I'm sure you do. You probably get hit up by agencies all the time or like, you know, let me yeah. do this, let me do that. And then you look at their profile and like they're a short form content agency and they have no short form content. And I'm like, how are you possibly going to tell me that you're going to help me with this if you've never even, you know, done it yourself or aren't even on the way to doing it yourself? So, yeah, people yeah. overestimate the quality of a decision. They, they overvalue the quality of a decision and they underestimate the speed of a decision. Speed of a decision isn't even a variable for most people. It, it's not even a consideration. It's like, imagine you're fat and you don't even realize that you have all this excess fat on you. You don't even realize how you could, you could run down the street. You don't even know you're walking. You're like fumbling around. You could run, but you don't even know. That's like what these people have with decisions. They don't know what they're missing out on. It, it's not even a, a consideration in their mind. They've never even thought about, oh, maybe I should make this decision faster. Maybe it'll be better, more beneficial. Like it's not, it's, it's not even there. So. Yeah. And the opportunity wouldn't be there if you weren't meant to consider it. And something else you said was like, when you make the decisions, it's like you're, the universe rewards you for those faster decisions and like creates new opportunities, like based on those quick decisions. But if you don't make that decision, then you're just blocking, you're not freeing up any space or any energy for new things to come in. I've found this myself. Like I said, like I'm still somebody who's building and I face this all the time. Like if I have analysis paralysis on something, then it's like, I just see so many other unrelated things start to kind of not go my way. But as soon as I address that thing that I need to make a decision on, 
wow, whole world starts to open up and I'm like, oh, wow, it is actually working in my favor more than I thought. All I had to do was make this, you know, important decision. That's good. You know, it's about listening to yourself. You know, what do you, what are some things you do? I want to get into the mental game a little bit and then we'll, we'll wrap up with our final three. You know, what do you do to put yourself in that, that mental state, you know, consistently? How can we get better about trusting our own decisions and like our own intuition? Well, I mean, I trust my decisions now because I've proven that my decisions are good with results. I didn't know before I had results that my decisions were good, but I tend to under I tend to underthink decisions, which is one of my greatest strengths. But also, underthinking can be a weakness in some regards. But like, yeah, one of my greatest strengths is just I don't really tend to think too much about the the negative side of things. So I'll just execute. But that's helped me a lot in business because really, in these in the businesses I do, which are just super basic, like it's just a fucking it's just like you're basically a guru, like it's the most basic shit ever. It's really just about executing because you're not you're not doing anything new. You just trying to learn as fast as possible and execute as fast as possible something that's already been done i'm sure if you're innovating how to build a fucking spaceship to to mars like spacex you probably want to make a you know a, a highly considered decision where you consider all the variables so my my fast action taking wouldn't work there i would suck because i'd just be like yeah fuck it put put the put the rocket on the bottom fuck it just chuck it on but like that wouldn't work in that company, right? But for what I do and for what most people want to do, a basic company where there's not the fucking future of humanity resting on, you know, the, the, the whatever outcome, whatever decision you decide to make. So, yeah, I, I've, I've sort of forgot what your original question was, but I was thinking. Yeah, I was just thinking, like you said, how do you personally, you know, trust your intuition? You said you've, you've stacked the, the proof that tells you that that's, you know, that's right. Maybe take me back to when you didn't have the proof. What were you, how were you in the, how did you put yourself in the mental state to, to like execute? Like you said, was it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that links back to the point of underthinking. So the reason that people might not believe in themselves, they might not trust their decision is because they're, they're thinking too much. They, their brain's on. You'd have to turn the brain off. You have to not think like when I got offered that marketing job, to work with a company i was like shitting myself at the time i was like oh my god this there's this chinese dude he licensed this algorithm software for like a million dollars from my mentor oh my god this is like like i'm getting on a call with some dude from china and he's like all serious like we are going to build a big company like you want to work with me and i was like what the fuck but I, I i didn't allow myself to to really think i was just like this is a good opportunity and there's no downside. If I fail, I fail. I live in Australia. This guy lives in China. Like he's not going to come and fucking murder me because I didn't do everything I should have done. So there's zero downside and there's unlimited upside. So you, you just have, to, I just was like, I just have to turn the brain off. And I naturally do that anyway. I naturally underthink decisions. I naturally underthink consequences. So I guess to, to try to give someone advice for what they should do, you have to, create the habit, the mental habit of not thinking and just executing. It's, it's a must. I would call it a muscle. Almost. You have to exercise the muscle of just executing and, and thinking's overrated. If you think about every great creation in, in all of human history, no one was thinking there was no thinking involved. Think about the great artworks. Think about musicians on a live, live on stage, giving a live performance. Think about people competing in, in sporting competitions. This wasn't on. 
the, there was no thinking. They were almost not even self-aware. They were in a state of, they're in a flow state. Thinking is what you do when you're coming out of a flow state. If you just execute on a decision, you're respecting like this God state and flow state by keeping yourself in it. When someone presents you an opportunity and you just fucking take it, you're respecting your flow state. You're keeping your brain off, which is where the best work happens, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's what happens with my work that I do. Your best work, like think about, think about the day before an assignment is due and you haven't even started it. Did you, do you really think when you're doing that work? Oh, okay. So I should, I'm learning this. I'm trying to consider it. You don't really think about what you're doing. You just execute. You're in the flow state. It's almost like God, if you want to believe in God is acting through you, like to a certain extent, like. Think about the most epic thing you've ever done and think about if your brain was like, if you were thinking, were you like, were you like in the moment during that epic state? No, it was almost like God was acting through you. Like there were times when I was like in a club and I was just talking absolute, I was spitting absolute game to like girls. And I was just like the next morning looking back on it in reflection. And I was like, that wasn't me. I, that was not me talking to those girls at the club. It was almost like god was talking to them if you want to believe in god mm -hmm. so yeah you have to respect flow state you have to respect that that force within you that wants to just decide everything for you and you have to stop thinking because thinking doesn't do anything for you really like thinking is overrated like i think thinking is attributed to like self-awareness that humans have and no other sort of you know animal on, on the planet has humans are like this one you know this one group of where there's one species that has this ability to think and i really feel like it's almost it's almost detrimental to a certain extent for most for most aspects mm -hmm. i think if you're making a really important decision you do need an element of thinking to to sit down and consider it but like yeah in the wild you don't have time to think if a tiger starts fucking running to you you don't sit there and oh should i run no you fucking running straight away no thinking required it wasn't even a, it wasn't even something involved in your life. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. You hit on flow state, which has been so important to me and so important to so many people. I think we like, it's exactly that it's turning off the, it's turning off the thinking. I think it's why, you know, I stress, you know, plan, I find planning days like so important if you already have those plans made. Like when I just look at my calendar for the next day and I know I have, for sales calls. I love it because like you said, it kind of eliminates the, it eliminates the having to think what I have to do. I just, I know, look, I put these four things on my schedule. I'm going to be a hundred percent present in those things. And we're going to see what happens after that. And that really does help eliminate the thinking when you don't plan out or you don't do any sort of, you know, you know, planning in that sense, you don't get that. You spend time thinking, Oh, what decision should I make? Oh, what, you know, is this right? Is this wrong? Should I even spend the time on it? So I think that's, that's super cool that like dialing and, in a flow state, turning off the mind. Yeah. And also think about like, what is meditation? Meditation mm -hmm. is almost emptying your brain of thoughts. It's like, imagine, imagine you've got all rubbish in your house. Meditation is going around the house, picking up the rubbish, putting it in bin and getting rid of it. It's trying to remove thinking. It's okay. My brain's all over the place. I've got all these thoughts that I haven't really like gone over. Let me sit in the corner for 30 minutes, pick up the rubbish, get rid of it so that I can just be present in the moment after I've meditated. That's exactly what meditation is. It's just cleaning up your brain. It's like when your computer 
is really slow, it's because there's all shit everywhere and you, it's messy. So you do like a diagnostic sort of analysis and then you do the cleanup and it, it fixes everything. And then your computer's back to running smoothly. No glitches, no thinking, no bullshit. Yeah. And you do have to practice these things. You know, it's like you can just say it, you can listen to it, but unless you actually, if you can't work on a task and like you said, turn off your mind and just focus on that task, it's a good time. Maybe you should start meditating. Maybe you should start spending, you know, me personally, like practice 15 minutes a day, just turning the mind off and getting used to what that feels like. And then naturally you'll start to see it play into everything you do. I even say like on the podcast, like there's times where, yes, there's a lot to cover and people say exciting things. And sometimes I get a little nervous or whatever, cause I'm thinking too far ahead, but meditation has taught me, like, I can just breathe in these moments and just, you know, let everything happen. And like being able to just tune in and catch my breath has really allowed for, you know, the best things to, to really come into play. So no, mm. that's super cool. Now I want to talk about what is something, and you kind of hit on this. I'm curious if it's the same. What do you think a lot of people value that you don't? I'd say probably like something random, like watching sport. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, totally, totally makes sense. Now, would what would you say 99% of people need to unlearn to reach their full potential? Uh, well, 99, I would say like at least 90% of people aren't wealthy. And if right. you're not wealthy, it means your parents aren't wealthy. And if your parents aren't wealthy, it means they've failed as a human to accumulate wealth, which would have given them freedom. Everyone wants money because everyone works. If you didn't want money, you wouldn't have a job. So the fact that people work jobs they don't like and they don't have large sums of money to give them freedom to not work the job they don't like means they failed. They've existed on the planet for 60, 50, 60 years, whatever it is, as a parent, and they failed to accumulate wealth. Failure. So if you're in the 90% of people where you are, you know, you've, you've grown up amongst parents who have failed in the financial game, they're going to teach you the, how to fail at finance because they've failed at it, right? Would you take advice on how to play soccer from someone who sucks at soccer? Well, you might, if you played soccer with them and you've only ever played soccer with them, you'd probably take their advice. You'd probably think, maybe because they're a little bit better at soccer than you, that they're worth listening to, you know, because you're literally never played soccer before. So most people have to unlearn that their parents don't know shit about money, 90% of them. And there's some people who do know a lot about money and they need to get in conversations with those people. And you need to unlearn whatever your parents have taught you because they're literally fucking clueless. They think the secret to wealth is buying a house when you're young and just watching it as it appreciates endlessly in value until one day you can retire from your shit job and your house will be paid off and you'll be able to be happy, whatever, some bullshit, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's one example of the terrible advice that 90% of parents are going to give you because yeah. they've never won at the game of finance. They don't know how the game of finance is won. So you need to talk to people who know how to win in the game of finance and they'll be able to reprogram you to be able to think correctly. And that's what I've had to undergo with my various mentors. It's, it's a form of reprogramming it's updating the code, the malware of your brain to think correctly to achieve your goal, which is to make money, right? Because yeah. you, you all, everyone ultimately wants freedom. Freedom either comes from having no money, no job, just sort of living, you know, happily, or it's from having a ton of money and not having to work a job. The, the pain is in the middle. It's where you value money enough 
that you want a decent amount of it, but you sacrifice your freedom to get it, but never enough to give yourself a, a significant period of your life where you don't have to work for money. You know, like when you're in the middle, you're always having to work for money. So that, yeah, that's basically my answer to that question. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And you touched on earlier, right at the beginning, you know, you're recently getting involved, getting ready to start working with, with Iman. And he's somebody who's just, he's so big and so influential. Now I want to talk about what stands out to you about Iman and like why he's someone that you want to work with. So if you look at the sector that I sort of operate in, which is like the online guru space, like how to make money online, it's a dude giving you a course. If I look at like the, the playing field of this competition, let's imagine again, it's a, it's a game of soccer or something. Iman and yeah. Iman's like team, quote unquote, is the best. It's like the top level. I mean, other than probably Tate, I would say that Iman is the next in this like make money online game. Maybe like Grant Cardone is probably, maybe Grant Cardone's above Iman potentially because he makes even more money. Mm -hmm. But I would never be able to enter Grant Cardone's circle. So sort of he's out of the picture. So if I think of everyone who's the best of the best in this sector, it's Iman's at the top. And I think that I've gotten the most value in life from associating myself with people at the highest caliber. And I think that for everyone's life, if you want to become really good at something, you want to associate with the best. If I decided, you know what? I'm going to get back into my competitive surfing like I used to do and I wanted to become a pro, I'd move to whatever wave had the most regular amount of very good surfers and I would you know, be spending a lot of time with them, watching them surf, learning from them, riding the boards that they ride, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I've decided to work with Iman and his team because I like associating myself with the pe people who are the best in their certain field and I think that that has the biggest benefits in, in, in your learning. And also, I think it's just a great opportunity to build a reputation in the rights in the in a in a correct circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And what do you? I think have you? Are you familiar with the term Renaissance man? I mean, I've heard Iman use it in his marketing. So mm -hmm. yeah, and I'm like, it's it's interesting because I look at like his GCC, for example, and like, yes, I know he uses it like with it is marketing, but it's like, it's so dead accurate as far as like the people that, like you said, they, they create their own wealth. They create their own value. They have this different perspective. Not, I, I don't call it different, but like an outside perspective to, you know, 99% of people on how to just, I guess, approach the business game and how to, you know, navigate things the right way. So I guess, my, I just kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit. You know, what about that community? What's something, what's a quality within that community that stands out to you as far as the, the members in it? Um, I've gone to a couple events and the guys I've met in, in GCC are so far really cool. There was event, there was one event in Bali, which was a month, a month long. And the guys there were super cool. Like some of the best online business guys that I've ever met. Really cool guys. Mm -hmm. I think the most important part one of the most important things in life is to get as rich as possible while making it as small a part of your personality as possible. I think that making wealth as a part of who you are is it only presents downside, generally speaking, for most people. I think that if the more you can disassociate wealth, being rich, more so being rich with your with your mentality, the more it's gonna help you in all areas with girls, 
with friends, just in general life, if you're just a dude and, and it's not about your money, like uh, every dude I look at who makes money, their personality, I don't think it's, it's really benefiting them unless they're selling you a course. Like, obviously, if you're a fucking guru with your Lambo, it's benefiting you because you're selling someone on the dream of making money. But I just think in terms of meeting people, the less that they suspect that you're just some rich kid, I think the better. I think that is ultimately the better position to be in. So the, what I like about GCC is that they're not just dudes who make money online. They're, the guys that I met are really cool. They're just, they're just normal dudes. Very fun to be around. We don't just talk business all day. Like, I don't want to talk business all day. I don't even want to talk business full stop, to be honest, in person. I like doing business when I'm at my computer. And when I leave my computer, I like just living life. So that, I've met a lot of people like that. Whereas in other networks, I won't name any, but in other networks, it tends to just be like, you know, like it's like a circle jerk of dudes who just make money and that's all they can do. I, I don't like it. Yeah, just constantly like looking for opportunities and just it's nonstop with that no i i like how you what like the direction you went with that um now okay kind of getting into our final three here what's one question you have for the host what's your what's your goals for your business how far do you want to scale it and why did you pick that business yeah so the goal well yeah the goal for the business is to ultimately scale to i mean i've got numbers wise i want to hit 100k a month i think that's like more than doable. And I guess the second part of that question, like what you say, why? Or, yeah. Sorry, why did you, what, why did you pick that type of business? Yeah. So the reason that I put some background, I, I help B2B business owners utilize LinkedIn to fill their calendars pretty much on autopilot with book discovery calls and appointments. We also do like a done for you section with that. And the reason I wanted to get involved in the LinkedIn space was a, you know, I see a gap. I see a direct way to get involved with business owners and speak directly to them, like C-level executives utilizing LinkedIn. And when I look at the other outreach methods out there, such as, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, it's A, it's a lot of spam. And B, I found myself and my sales team getting connected with these high-level people. Yeah, they respond. But usually it was like their salesperson or their appointment setter is on the other end of their Instagram DMs, of their Twitter DMs. You know, I didn't see a lot of like real conversations happening, you know, saw a lot of no's and I got exposed to this opportunity on LinkedIn and I was like, oh, wow, like these guys are booking 15 to 25 qualified appointments per week with their system. You know, I was pretty good friends with them. We've done business in the past and I was like, why is this working? And when they took me into their targeting and how they set up their targeting for all their clients, I was like, oh. They're only, they're only talking to C-level executives. They're only talking to companies that are doing, you know, 10 million a year in revenue. And they're talking to businesses that haven't like, are just hiring like sales teams and full on call centers to handle all their, all their sales. They're not going, they want to work with other businesses, but they're not even trying LinkedIn. They're not even trying to have conversations. You know, if one CEO reaches out to another CEO, there's that mutual respect there. And then you can also see, you know, who's connected. So yeah, the reason I got involved with that was just, I see a real opportunity in the market as somebody who's interviewing business owners on a weekly basis. I was like, okay, like this fits. Like you said, it was just kind of my intuition that said, yes, this is different, but it does make sense. And a lot of people don't know about it now, but you know, it's because these guys weren't making a ton of content around the results they had. They were strictly, it was doing so well off, you know, using the actual system to sell it 
that why make content? So I was like, okay, I'm already making content. I see my value proposition there. Let me educate people who are just spending, you know, hours a day sending 100 Instagram DMs to get one reply on how they could get a response same day by the founder of, you know, somebody they really respect. Like perfect example. Yesterday, I saw the founder Hoobie, you know, Jordan, he was on LinkedIn and then Kaysen was on LinkedIn. And I was like, okay, you know, like 2000 people are connected with them. Let me just send a connection request. They'll check out my profile, see what happens. I'm not going to reach these guys on Instagram. You know, let me just try. And they both connected back with me. And then same, like Adam Horowitz was another one on there that I've always respected. I was like, let me just try that. And I connected with him. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, do I just go DM these people? Of course not. But I'm glad that, that we're connected and like the content I put out, it's at least in a perimeter of some sort to where if those opportunities come on, come on down the line, I have kind of that mutual connection point. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I've got a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. So when you, let's say you achieve this goal, which you will, what mm -hmm. summarize in one sentence, what your life will look like. And don't talk about like money, talk about like what your life will look like in one sentence. One sentence, my life will look like a land of opportunity. I'll have the opportunity to, you know, trap, like take my mom around the world. I'll have the opportunity to, you know, work. I mean, I kind of have that now a little bit, but definitely the opportunity to just fly around and work where I want to work and change my environment. I think location freedom is so important to me. So yeah, I just, one sentence, my life will look like a land of opportunity. I'll be able to really dial in. My intuition tells me this, go take that risk, go do that. Like you said, I'll feel like I have that confidence based on the fact that that opportunity wouldn't exist if I didn't just put in the work to get to hundred K a month anyway. Mm -hmm. So it yeah, makes sense. That's what it's so when you, when you have all this money, you'll, there's so many things that you can do now. Yes. It allows, I'm so curious. And like, like you said, I'm obsessed with helping other people. Like, I've always been the connector and it's like, being, I know I'll just be able to, like they say, wealth only enhances who you are. It doesn't really mm -hmm. change you. It just enhances who you are. So if I can spend the time now at 10K a month, you know, building who I like really who I am and what I want to see moving forward, then, you know, it's only going to get better and better for the people that, you know, are dialed in now and eventually come into this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are really mm -hmm. good questions, man. Sometimes I get some very like, they're like, oh, what's your vision? I'm like, you know. Like, so how do you want to be remembered? I've never thought about this question. So if I give an answer, it's just going to be something off the top of my head. No worries. I mean, like I could go Alex Hormozzi and basically say it doesn't matter because everyone will forget about you. Or I could just not be, not be like so boring and, and give you a nice happy ending answer. Maybe I rephrase it because I've heard it rephrased this way too. Let's say on your tombstone. What's the last piece of advice you want people to remember from you? Okay. I would just say you can achieve anything you set your mind to. I would just put that quote. Mm -hmm. As like a reminder, anytime somebody comes through, I love that. All right, then, you know, that was awesome. We hit it, you know, hour right on the nose, you know, where can we find you? And uh, you know, what, what do we have to look forward to coming from, coming from crypto Dan, as I like to like to say there. Yeah, man, I would say that. I'm looking forward to the next bull run. Going to make mm -hmm. so much fucking money. I feel like I've finally like got my hand. I've got, I've got it by the balls. I've got the market by the balls. I can just feel it. It sounds sort of like a weird metaphor, but I, I can just tell this next bull run is going to be fucking crazy. So 
if you're wondering what you're going to look forward to, it's going to be all the money that I'm going to be showing people how to make because I'm so fucking excited. I made a bunch last bull run, but I had nowhere near the network, the knowledge that I have now. So it's going to be fucking crazy. If you want to find me, you can go on, I'd say the best place is YouTube. My YouTube is Daniel McAvoy. McAvoy spelled M-C-E-V-O-Y. Or you can type in Crypto Dan. We'll come up with Crypto Dan as well. But I mean, other than that, you'll see everything on there. Like that's, yeah, I don't want to shill everything. So YouTube's the best yeah, place. Yeah, of course. For sure, man. Yeah, 100%. I will put the link to your YouTube channel in the in the description. Thanks again, man, so much. I, I gained so much out of this personally. I know everyone else is going gonna, is gonna to feel the same. So I look, for, I look forward to us doing this again sometime, maybe in person around the world. 